0: Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier Podcast. We're here with one of our new guest hosts, Steve Jordans, and he comes to us with a background in in psychology, learning, ed tech, music, and a whole bunch of other things, I'm sure. Uh, So, Steve, how are you doing today?
1: Very good. Great to be with you today.
0: Awesome. So I'd love if you shared a little bit about what you're up to now, and then we'll kind of rewind back in time and and, uh, talk a little bit about your journey. So what are you up to these days?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I'm a professor of psychology at University of Toronto, and and I... you know, one of the things about me is I like to teach large classes, uh, which is kind of strange. And it it links maybe to the fact that I front a classic rock band and and I like that idea of large audiences and interacting with them. So I kind of bring that into the classroom as well. I teach our 1800 student intro psych class um, and uh, I enjoy that very much. I'm also director of the advanced learning technologies lab. One of the challenges of teaching large classes is how to still make it a really deep um transformational uh learning experience. And so in the lab, we work a lot with educational technologies and try to think of how we can use those technologies in powerful ways to make our students optimally ready for success. So those are my two main gigs, although I've always got my my fingers in a lot of different things. I've got some online courses on Coursera that allow me to reach out to the global population, and and that's kind of cool. And I also um, sort of lend my voice to a few other things. For example, one I would highlight now is something called the GenWell Initiative, which which is um, a not-for-profit initiative where they're trying to convince people or educate people, I should say, on the power of social connection because so many people now have gotten so comfortable in their homes. um, We don't spend as much time in face-to-face direct interactions and the research suggests there's so much power in those interactions. And so I'm trying to to be a voice out there to kind of get people realizing that now more than ever, we need to connect as human beings and, and come together. And so that's one of the things I'm playing with these days as well.
0: That's awesome, and I'm hoping we get an opportunity to deep dive into any one of those in future episodes. But I'd love for cool. this one, if we kind of get to know you a little bit more. So if you rewind back in time and, and ask... like. What was Steve like as a kid? So what were you like right. growing up? So maybe early fond memories and, and and we'll kind of walk you through your journey. So so what are a couple of early fond memories of, of young little Steve? <laughs> young
1: little Steve. Um, I, I don't know. I, mean, I was always a, a dog kind of guy. So I always had a dog. So I spent a lot of time on walks and getting lost in the woods. I was, I'm from New Brunswick. Um, so there's lots of woods to get lost in. And my dog and I would often get lost and get found and and have a good time that way. I always also was big on uh, something called the mechanic. Mechano sets. So, not so much Lego. Mechano sets were these little metal things with bolts and and nuts, and you could build. All sorts of contraptions, engines, and etc. Um, I remember, I remember that a lot. Um, but come the age when it was really um, people started getting more social, then I seemed to be somehow the person that figured out what our gang of people were doing. So I was almost in charge of I don't know creative thought or something. <laughs> what can we do on the weekend that's kind of fun? Uh, and and I remember always being the one calling everyone on the phone and being the instigator and, and getting our group of people together to to go and do fun things. I I will also mention just one other thing. My my father always had a rule that um, when it's time, you either get a full time job, you go to university or you enlist in the military. Uh, you do not sit on the couch. So the military, which was his route, he was a he was a military guy. Uh, and so that was sort of the booby prize in my mind that I, I needed to get a job or go to the university. One year I found a loophole in dad's policy and we have family in Holland and um, they, they have a family business growing grass real grass, like the kind of grass that, that cattle eat, not, not what you might think of in Holland. Uh, and and I managed to go, yeah, I managed to go to Holland for four months and, and do that live with my uncle. And I was 17 at that time. And I think those four months were just amazingly transformational in terms of just sort of me, um, coming back a, a different person than I left.
0: That's amazing. So yeah, I'm sure there's a lot uh, of different stories along the way. So you ultimately landed in, in a career in psychology. So, so how does uh, someone kind of wandering the woods with their dog, uh, <laughs> gathering, social gathering and stuff, like that, how, what is the influence to kind of get to that stage?
1: Yeah, so so kind of funny. I, I tried to continue avoiding university, and I don't know why. Uh, so I was in a, a, an assistant manager at Kmart uh, for a while, and I somehow managed to get fired at Kmart right before Christmas. Um, I, I was always um, I was always in the battles with managers. I always thought they were making bad decisions, <laughs> and I would challenge them. And then somehow, right before Christmas, which I never thought was possible, yeah, I got fired from Kmart, and and that is when I decided to go to university. Starting in January, um, because otherwise it was the army <laughs> with my dad, right. so I had to go. I had to go somewhere, um, and I originally started. Uh, with the idea of becoming a music producer and doing computer science and psychology simultaneously. Um, Computer science, I kind of felt that's the way music production was going. And psychology, I thought that would help me work with bands. Uh, And so I started doing my undergraduate degree. I was not a particularly strong undergraduate. I was a C plus student for the first year and a half, uh, I think. Um, But then at a critical point, sort of two things happened. One, I met my current wife and she was a much more serious student. And I inherited some habits from her and suddenly my grades started getting much, much better. Um, And secondly, you know, a a character I want to highlight is is somebody named Professor Wayne Donaldson. He taught me cognitive psychology and he had a a very unique testing style where he wouldn't ask a bunch of multiple choice questions or whatnot. He would have talked to us about research uh, all through the term and then he would just show us some data. Um, some graphs or something like that and there might be six on a piece of paper and he would say pick any four of these tell me everything you know about the study that produced it and then tell me something you would do next as a scientist. Um, I enjoyed these uh, a lot uh, and I especially enjoyed the what would you do next and at some point point professor Donaldson kind of took me aside and said uh, when you do those what would you do next you come up with really great ideas you really think like a scientist have you ever considered going to graduate school and and becoming a psychologist and i had not Um, i i didn't even see myself as particularly good at that And, and i use this as an example to people all the time about the power of positive feedback that when you tell somebody something they're good at or something you admire about them, um, especially when they don't kind of think of themselves that way, it can really have a profound impact on them. Um, And it did on me. Um, Wayne became my mentor. He convinced me to spend another year in university getting my grades up. uh, And ultimately, it was under his tutelage that I applied for graduate school uh, and went on and and got my PhD and and my postdoc from there. So, yeah, um, I see Wayne. I I saw him just... um, Two weeks ago, I took a motorcycle ride up to Lake Simcoe, where where he is, and uh, we had lunch with he and his wife, uh, and it's just fantastic to have a a character like him in your life.
0: That's amazing. So... what I took from that is, uh, well, it's having that mentor or someone kind of see something in you that you didn't necessarily see in, in yourself. I, I yeah. see that as a, a very common theme. So for those of you out there who uh, do notice things about folks around you, make sure to uh, give that positive feedback because that can be so well, in your case, probably life changing <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> in, in, yeah. in, in a sense. Cause would, would you yeah, have been on, uh, a path on on that way? What do, you, what do you think you would have been doing if uh, if uh, Professor Donaldson hadn't done that? What was your path uh, yeah. along that way? I
1: mean, may- maybe music production. I mean, that was certainly what I what I had in my mind at the time. Um, but, you know, who knows if I, if I would have been successful at that. Um, it, it's not clear that I was particularly suited. I always loved music. I loved listening to music. Uh, I didn't play then. I do play now. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It really is life-changing. And, and I'll add one other point to that. Um, my, the educational technology that I've created that I'm most proud of, it's all about teaching students how to learn from constructive feedback and learning from constructive feedback is hard, uh, because it always starts by somebody telling you something that you're not pretty, you're not that good at right now. And then they're giving you some advice about how to get better. But that first step, when we hear somebody highlighting a weakness, we want to fight or flee everything that we hear after that. We don't like that. And so it's a lot of work to teach students um, how to be able to do this. And it's a very important skill, but I spend so much time trying to teach that. And then at some point I was remembered that situation with Wayne Donaldson and, and, and the Critical point is we embrace positive feedback with open arms. There is no resistance to positive feedback. We will just eat it right up. As long as the positive feedback is specific, it's super powerful. Like just telling somebody, hey, you did great. That's fine, it makes them feel good. But the way you did this was great. That makes them think, oh, I wanna keep doing that. I like that I, that somebody saw that in me and I wanna keep doing it. So easiest way we can, we can help each other is by highlighting things that each other are doing really, really well. It's very powerful.
0: For sure. And and spreading some positive vibes around is is definitely needed. (laughs) 100% for sure. Uh, I love if We we talked a little bit more about kind of the the journey you had on, on the music side so, so you started uh, university on the pretense of getting into like music production and things like that and right. you said you didn't actually play um, but, but now you do so, so what was kind of that journey in, in music like?
1: That, that that was interesting. So yeah, I was always an avid listener, and and my favorite band was Rush. Um, and Neil Peart, the, the the lyricist of Rush, always wrote these complex lyrics. So every new Rush album, I would be in my bedroom with my headphones on, trying to listen and and what's he trying to tell me, and etc. Uh, and so I really feel like music shaped me when I was young, and it was always a, a solace that was there. And so it is something I wanted in my life. But no, I did not play at all. Um, and, and, um, it wasn't literally until I was well into my thirties as a professor. And we had a dog at that point in time who had been diagnosed with cancer and we were told um, there wasn't a lot we could do other than to give her a high quality of life. And we used to travel a lot, scuba dive a lot. But we decided we were going to stay closer to home, be with this dog. We thought for months. It turned out she lived three years. <laughs> and um, during that time, my wife, um, she always knew I wanted to play guitar. So she, she said, let's do the guitar thing now. Let's the two of us take time. And it was like twinkle, twinkle, little star, you know, playing things like that on the balcony. Uh, and the And the really funny thing is I had this book that taught three chords I think or four chords something like that Uh, and I learned those four chords and at the end of the chapter this book said okay now you know what you need to form a band find other people and start playing and I was like really okay (laughs) And so we did we found some other people we played the song wild thing which has four chords um, over and over and over Uh, and and it was a hit and you know slowly I started to get more and more. It was my it, it, it's it's my therapy really. When I have to kind of escape from the world, I go down in the basement. Um, It was playing guitar, now I play bass, I play some drums, I play with GarageBand writing songs and I'm not great at any of them, but um, it's just so, um, I don't know, very satisfying to just feel that growth and and to spend that time and to be able to play live now and then even though I'm nervous as heck when I play live, uh, the only thing I think I feel nervous about in that sort of situation, but but yeah, it's just a part of my life I couldn't imagine not having right now.
0: Sounds good. And uh, in, in terms of your journey into psychology, I'd love if we kind of walk through a little bit more because I think uh, I, I heard in, in other interviews you did some things in, on like like memory and you obviously talked about like critical thinking and things like that. Um, so I'd love to learn a little bit more about, uh, kind of that journey and, uh, alt- like what you did your PhD in, and, and I would love to learn about like kind of that, the large cl- the first large class experience, right. And, and obviously there's a lot to go through. So we'll go there kind of bit by bit, but, uh, yeah. yeah. What was kind of the initial, uh, journey to, to where you are from a psychology perspective? Like,
1: yeah, so, um, yeah. I had Professor Donaldson on my side. He's encouraging me to apply to graduate programs. And there's a story here that I always like to tell, which is I, I really only applied to three places. UBC, okay. because at that point I scuba dove and skied and UBC has mountains <laughs> and oceans and it just yep. like the beautiful yep. place to be. Um, University of New Brunswick, which is where I did my undergraduate, and I didn't really want to stay there. I just knew they would they would have me, so I knew that was my sort of safety blanket, I guess. And University of Waterloo. Uh, I don't know why I picked University of Waterloo. Uh, I'm really unclear about what it was. Um, But anyway, UBC very quickly rejected my application, and I was like, oh my goodness. And then not long after that, University of Waterloo rejected my application, Uh, and so that made me um, sort of thinking about UNB. But I did something really important that I like to talk to students about which is in the the right spirit I reached out to University of Waterloo and I said i was you know really hoping to have a chance of going there i tried really hard to to submit a good application but obviously it was not successful I, I, i accept that totally but i would love a little bit of feedback so this is back to that constructive feedback sort of theme i would love you know you formally assessed me you compared me to other candidates obviously there was something lacking could could you give that to me so that i could work on that for for next year so I always encourage students to do this job interviews or anything. Um, get that, you know, there's feedback waiting for you that you can grow from. That was the spirit I did that in. But it turned out that the response was, um, well, Jordans, you had you provided a proposal about a very specific experiment. And I did. I was into sports quite heavily at the time. And I created this proposal for a sports psychology experiment I'd like to do. And I tried to really impress them with my scientific chops um, that Wayne kind of had me pumped up on. So I created this complex <laughs> experiment that I thought would really impress them. And it kind of did. They thought it was a really interesting experiment, except they said, nobody here does that. No, We don't have any sports psychologists. So, so they said, your, your application looked great. It just didn't fit. And I said, oh, um, I'll do other things. (laughs) And they said, oh, really? (laughs) Okay. Well, let's see. And they they passed the file around and somebody named Phil Miracle um, got in touch with me. And and Phil Miracle studied uh, subliminal perception. Uh, And he said, hey, if I send you some papers, I'd like to know your thoughts. And he sent me some papers. We had some phone calls. I was able to impress him. Um, And he ended up accepting me at University of Waterloo. Uh, and while there I worked with him, but I also met another character named Derek Besner. He studied memory and and something called word recognition, which is a way of tapping memory. And so I started doing research with, with the both of them. Um, and along the way, this is just sort of the academic story. I also met a local colleague named Bill Hawkley at Wilfrid Laurier and Bill and I became we, we would go to the pub and talk research and uh, eventually papers started coming out of this and And Bill was a real <laughs> solid memory researcher. So, you know, based on their sort of combined influence, um, I um, finished my PhD, which was actually on unconscious and conscious influences. So it was more the film miracle work. Uh, I did a brief postdoc at McMaster, which was interesting and notable because at Waterloo, you could do psychology and pretend the brain wasn't there. You could just not talk about the brain and just talk about mental processes and, and whatever. When I got to McMaster, that was not cool. Everything had to relate to the brain. And I had to do a crash course in really understanding the brain and how brain and, and the processes that it do um that it do, uh, that, that it doesn't go together. Uh, <laughs> but it was just a six month postdoc, and that's when I was able to to land my current faculty position at University of Toronto Scarborough. So you know I had all of these influences, but it's all sort of classic cognitive psychology, and that's what I was doing at that point, working in the lab, doing memory studies, um, and, and I was quite content with that for quite a while. That's also when I started teaching, um, right at the end of graduate school and going into undergraduate. I had no idea. So I'm going to hearken back just a little bit more now. My dad um, was a character and he was, he was from Holland. He's from the South of Holland where every, um, they have, they have like carnival once a year and they all dress up in outfits and act silly and they keep changing their outfits. So people don't know who they are. And the whole town shuts down for two weeks, businesses shut down. They take it very seriously. And when he came to Canada, he missed that. So he proclaimed himself the first town crier of Fredericton and got my mother, who was very good at seamstress stuff, to create full costumes for him and for herself. Uh, And he would go around ringing a bell at literally the beginning of every parade. He was leading parades in in Fredericton. I used to look at him and say, I did not get those jeans. I do not know where he (laughs) got this desire to be the focus of attention or whatever. And I thought that was not in me until I got in front of a class. Once I got in front of a class, I felt that um, I, I enjoyed the attention. I enjoyed the interaction with, with the students, um, the, the questions they would bring and then trying to make them understand things in very concrete ways because I'm a concrete thinker. And, and that, you know, slowly was a slow burn. So I was doing the, the memory stuff in the lab, but I was really enjoying my teaching um, and, yeah, as we continue the story, you'll see that these two end up converging at some point. But, uh, but I also realized they put me in the large classes, and they often do that for first-year faculty or early faculty. And yeah, like you do these first-year big classes and, and we'll do our nice specialized <laughs> ones. And, yeah, to everyone's surprise, I, I was very effective in a large class and I really enjoyed the large class. Uh, and so that really started to feel home to me and I eventually moved into the intro psych, which is the largest class we have and have just lived there uh, ever since. That's, that's where I feel most comfortable.
0: Yeah, I I love if you if you can recall going back to maybe that that first class. I mean, you had that initial perception. I don't want to be the center of attention, and now here nope. I got to get up in front of everybody and kind of deliver this. Like, how big was that class? What what were the things? And and what was that kind of experience leading up to that kind of first one? If if you can recall, you know,
1: you know, the one that I think was so formative for me. So almost every class. Well, I shouldn't say that. I've taught I've taught a number of small classes since, but most of my classes are on the larger side. And and I think the one that really kind of got me hooked in a way though was uh, they also got me to teach introductory statistics To psychology students. Um, Many psychology students take psychology because they don't want to do math. (laughs) They don't want to do what you have to do (laughs) in the other sciences. But in psychology, you have to take this intro stats course. And so students would come in and they would feel intimidated and they would, some of them would have a mindset, like, I just can't do stats. I don't, I don't do, I'm not good at this kind of thing. And in that class, I worked really hard to convince them that the math of stats was in fact, very simple, basic algebra. Or a multiplication, division—you know, maybe you square something—but the math is nothing that should intimidate you. It's really all about um, a formal approach. To uh, answering questions, and so I would come up with some very uh, clear examples. It might be things like, you know, let's say you think your your partner might be seeing someone else on the side. Um, how could you have an argument with that person in a way that would actually, you know, lead you to a to an answer to that question? Uh, and so suddenly, all the <laughs> students are like, oh, you know, this kind of fits my world. Sometimes I wonder. And so when I when I worked so hard, I would see every now and then. Um, or actually pretty regularly, some of these students who didn't think they could do stats would say, I get it, I understand it, I can do this. I'm not intimidated. And that's really important because for some that would hold them back from research. This was the the thing they found most intimidating about becoming a scientist or a researcher. And when I felt like I was turning that corner with them, um, that really felt like I was having an impact and, and that I may have opened a door or at least allowed a door to stay open for them that they they might otherwise have had closed. And I think that's the hit I got. Once I started feeling that resonance with students, that, that my efforts were actually having an impact, um, that started made me wonder about my research, to be quite honest with you, about you know how much of an impact is my research having? And I started thinking that the impact I was having in the classroom was better, more important, more, at least more valuable to me than the research I was doing in a lab. Um, and, and at some point I started moving from the real basic research on memory to much more applied research on learning, which is sort of the same topic in a way, but much more applied on, you know, how can we actually do things that increase the student's success? And, th- and that's what I think of learning. I think of a student in a job interview wanting to get that job interview, have I prepared that student to win the job they really want? Um, And and that's always in the back of my mind. And and that that fact that I might be having that positive influence is is really what makes it, you know, I get up in the morning and I look forward to going to class. Uh, And I'm so lucky that way to have a job of that sort.
0: That's amazing. And, and it sounds a little bit like that performer in you through the music <laughs> comes yep. out and shines as, as you teach as well. Yep. Uh, and, and maybe you inherited more of your dad's genes than you think. <laughs> but I, th- I think, think, I, did. I, think I did. I think I did. Yes, indeed. Um, and, and, and I guess a question on that. So is, does a researcher of memory actually have a good memory? <laughs> like, so there's a, there's, a, good memory?
1: there's a joke in psychology where, where they say uh, people end up doing research in whatever it is they find most challenging. Um, and, and in <laughs> fact, I, I did not have a good memory. I, I mentioned to you earlier that I started out as sort of a C, C plus student. That was for two reasons. Mm-hmm. I had bad habits. Uh, I got through high school pretty well just by paying attention in class uh and that seemed to be enough and i would get okay marks i brought that to university and no it turns out you have to read those damn textbooks too Uh, and i didn't do that very well i would go to class i would pay attention but then i would score a c because they were asking me questions about things that weren't talked about in class Uh, and so um but the other thing was i just was not early classes are memorization can you get all of these facts into your mind and that was always a challenge for me for sure i i blossomed when i got into classes more like wayne Donaldson's when it when is when it was more about problem solving and you know what would you do next and and ideas and creative thinking Um, that was sort of my forte the critical thought the creative thought memory memorization, not so much. So yeah, you know, maybe that's part of it, but why I was studying it to try to understand, you know, how to actually enhance memory. And I know a lot about enhancing memory now. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say I was particularly good at the whole memory thing And, and I'm not now. And in fact, one of the, one of the last things I'll say here is anytime we all find ourselves in these situations where somebody else say my wife and I had some shared experience and we're reflecting on it and we remember it extremely differently. You know, someone will say, oh, did, I didn't like the green color of their house. And you might say, oh, it wasn't green at all. I remember it being, I don't know, orange or something. And <laughs> no, it was green. And we can have fights with each other, right? As mm-hmm. though we're, we're right. Um, we can be very confident in memory and very wrong. I've learned this and now anytime anybody questions my memory, I back off immediately and say, you know what, you're probably right. <laughs> I don't know. So you study memory enough, you don't trust it at all. And that's, I'm sort of at that point now.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. So hopefully that gives some hope to our younger listeners who didn't do so well in high school because later in life, there a lot of it is more kind of, problem solving and taking that and applying it versus just d- did you read it in the in the book so I think that that's fantastic guidance and advice and I'm sure we can deep dive to uh, a, any number of these topics in, in future episodes but but I'd love if we close off to uh, ask for your swike the the stuff I wish I knew earlier so uh, if you had a chance to talk to young Steve at different yeah. points in there in, in his life so either well yeah. should you uh, maybe in high school maybe in, in, in university the PhD or, or off in Holland or wherever it is like what were some of the piece of advice that you'd give to young Steve?
1: Yeah. Um, so, I mean... Th- the weird thing is I I, I maybe would, f- I maybe did follow the advice I'm about to give, but I certainly wasn't doing so intentionally. So one of the <laughs> things I say is I see so many students who over plan, they, they, they come to university and they have a goal. I'm going to become X and and they're coming in with a very rigid sort of path they're following. Uh, whereas one of the things that I think was true of Young Steve, and maybe this kind of connects a little bit, was, you know, we, we the Canadian rock band Tri- Triumph would have a song like Follow Your Heart. Um where it was kind of like I was following what sort of grabbed my mind at the time, I think. And and that maybe looked a little scrambled in a way, um, but as I sort of followed that with the, with the aid of people like Wayne, um, I was able to land in, in a, a spot that I really like. And so one of the things I, I think I would tell young Steve that I somehow did um, unintentionally is when you're thinking of your future. Um, What I like to tell students is, imagine 20 years down the road, the alarm goes off, you have to go to work. How is that going to feel? If you've made your decisions well, then wor- the work you will find yourself in will be something that sort of fits your passions, fits your goals, fits your, your sort of what, what brings value to you. And it'll be really easy to roll out of bed and go do that. Uh, so if you love talking to people and you love learning from other people and having conversations, then rolling out of bed and doing some podcasts, you know, that doesn't feel like work. And that's the sort of goal. Mm-hmm. Get yourself in a job that won't feel like work. Um, the, the kind of job where you'll actually say, this is great. And, and somehow I did that. The teaching thing, I think I just got lucky. I don't think I knew how much I would like teaching. Um, and, and I fell into that sort of by following my heart. And, and when I felt it saying, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to ignore this. You know, I, I know my research is what got me where I am. But the teaching is what's sort of making me feel good at the end of the day and so i'm going to try to move more in that direction uh and so i think that's the i I think i would say don't doubt that too much don't second guess too much if it feels like it's a direction that fits you obviously you want to try to be able to make some money doing whatever that thing is but but don't let the money be the leader let the let the sort of passion be the leader and if you can find a balance of those two things you're a lucky person
0: and, and I would echo that where a lot of folks kind of focus a lot too, a little too much on the practicality of things and yes yeah. you need money yes you need to uh, pay for food and rent and all that sort of stuff but uh, especially maybe later on like kind of think about when you're more established yeah. do you actually enjoy what you're doing right so that whole expression uh, TGIF uh, we're recording on a Friday yeah. I'm not a fan <laughs> to be honest because it presumes that your week so far you didn't enjoy what you were doing right but right. I, I live by the expression CWUM which is can't wait until Monday. It's like the the weekend was awesome, but I can't wait to to get started and doing what I want to do. So I think that's that's great it's guidance fantastic. and advice. So hopefully folks are are learning to to follow their heart. And uh, where can folks reach out to you and and find out a little bit more about you? And and we'd love to learn more about some future aspirations if you're willing to share. Yeah,
1: I mean, I I have a a wickedly big digital footprint. So if you just put my name, Steve Jordan's in Google, you will find more than you'd probably ever want to find. Um, So there's all sorts of information. Uh, If you're interested in the ed tech side, I'll I'll mention the technology we have is Peer Scholar. uh, And uh, it's all about teaching students by having them give feedback and learn from feedback. Um, So that's kind of a cool thing. Um, But yeah, you can find anything. My band's The Freakin' Lolas. If you want to look at that, you can (laughs) check that out and find it. Uh, just about everything you might want is is there online. As far as future directions, um, you know I, I am I, I'm at that point where you kind of talk about you get to a point in your life where and and for me, maybe it's even a little bit further point where I imagine that my professional life may only be ten years uh, of of future before right. I retire and and focus on more personal stuff. I don't know. we'll see if that happens or not, but but in my mind is <laughs> those ten years, i want to do things that have a positive impact uh and so you know at the beginning of the pandemic i created a free course for everybody about understanding anxiety and how to manage it because it felt like that's what the world needed i mentioned a little bit my work now with genwell who i think are really bringing you know value to the world by teaching people the power of of social connection of having humans interacting with each other and how you know it's the number one predictor of happiness is how many connections close connections you have Uh, And so I'm working, I try to find people uh, who I think are doing really inspirational stuff. And and then I try to think, can I lift them? And and I'll I'll give one other example that I think is a powerful example right now. Our class is going to do a project with an organization called Swab the World. And one of the heads of Swab the World is someone named Mai Dong. Mai had leukemia. Um, She needed a stem cell transplant and had a very difficult time doing, finding one because 70% of the registrants in the stem cell database are Caucasian. Um, It's a very small percent that are non-Caucasian. She herself was South south Vietnamese and had a terrible time finding a match. And she was an ad person. So she started an ad to save her own life, um, basically reaching out and trying to convince people to add their um, stem cells to the database. And she was able to save her own life and save the lives of about seven or eight other people, but through her efforts. And so now she's created Swab the World to kind of reach out more broadly this way. And when I hear her story and see what she's done, I just think she's freaking amazing. It'd be a great guest to have on your show at some point, perhaps. and. Um, you <laughs> Sure. And she's now going to be coming into class on Wednesday, and she's gonna—we're going to make the cornerstone of a project that I, that the 1800 students are doing all around Swab the world, which means they will all hear about it. They are a very multicultural group. They are her target market, 18 to 35 year old right. people. Um, and so, you know, this is—I I hear some a story of someone like mine and I think, okay, can I use whatever reputation I have to 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 lift what you're doing because it's because it's so amazing. Uh, and so I look for those opportunities continually now and and every chance I get I'm all over them
0: that's amazing so yeah hopefully i can get connected with or you can connect me with with my and then Mm -hmm. hopefully we can find a lot more inspirational folks to to reach out to uh, professor jordan's and uh, see if they can kind of elevate uh, these amazing missions so so thanks so much steve for sharing your your journey your swike, and i'm hoping we can deep dive into any more top a lot more topics in future episodes so thanks so much for for joining us
1: i look forward to it very much thank you for the invitation (laughs)
0: Thanks. Bye.